February 17th, 1988, the Ghetto Boys released their debut album, Making Trouble, on Rap A Lot Records. Now, in 1988, there were two hip hops. There was the Public Enemy hip hop, there was NWA hip hop, the Jungle Brothers hip hop, and KRS One hip hop, and Easy E. Easy E and NWA's album came out the same year, which I find uh, interesting. But the other hip hop was Biz Marquee, DJ Jazzy Jeff and the Fresh Prince, uh, Salt and Pepper. MC Hammer came out in 1988. So clearly, when you look at an album like Ghetto Boys Making Trouble, they weren't for that shit. They clearly were not for that. If you listen to the very first song on Making Trouble, it'll make yourself very apparent. This is the Summer Say Podcast. So in 88, I wasn't even born. I wasn't even here yet, right? Yeah. So, that's how you're going to introduce yeah, yourself. You My name is Yo, yeah, and I wasn't I born at <laughs> <laughs> this yeah, time. When this album came out. So going back and listening to this, I still have no clue <laughs> what, was going, what was going on in 1988. Um, it was very, clearly it was very aggressive in 1988. Right, right. Very uh, aggressive. Uh, my name is Christina. Um, myself and the producer, Michael Saba, were both two years old when this album came out. So everything that I've learned about this album only comes from, from research. Uh, but it is interesting to kind of listen to this album now and because you you don't think this really sounds like the start of like Southern hip hop as we know it today. Yeah. Obviously we know that two live crew was already sort of like doing its thing. But when you, when I listen to this, you know, I only hear the influence specifically of run DMC, Yeah, <laughs> you know, and the sound that they established with like Rick Rubin. But it's funny, like you, you listen to this and what's that, what's actually happening here is that like, you know, there's a guy by the name of Jay Prince who we should definitely explain and talk about. Yeah. Um, Jay Prince being this entrepreneurial guy rolling up top down to this club by the name of the Rhinestone Wrangler. It's an awesome name. Has decided that he's gonna start a rap label and he's gonna bring a group together. And he does so with a couple of guys from New Jersey, um, a guy from New York. I think Bushwick Bill would be from Brooklyn. But, um, and then this fifth ward resident by the name of Willie D. And Willie D was this guy who was trying to decide whether he was gonna go full on boxing or go on be, be like the freestyle champ at the Rhinestone Wrangler. And fortunately, I guess for the sake of all of us, he chose hip hop at this juncture. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that um, when I listen to Willie D, the first thing I think to myself is this guy has kicked a lot of ass. <laughs> <laughs> he has so? kicked a lot of ass. Like I, he just seems. He, I mean, his 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 flow, his voice, his his uh, his delivery on every song. Like it didn't feel like there was different modes of Willie D. It was like Willie D goes one way. I kick your ass, and right. that's just and that's just what it is. Like that. I got I got Which one is speed in both fields, right? Yeah, in both okay. fields. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You kind of have to adopt that. I don't know that he could switch it off. To him, it was probably the same. <laughs> At least that's that's how he approached Boxing it. Boxing and rap. Yeah, same yeah, thing. yeah, same thing. Yeah. So it wasn't the crack game, rap game. Yeah, exactly. There you it's go. the ring and the recording booth. There you go. No difference. <laughs> no difference at all. <laughs> Clearly. So wait. So you yo, you hadn't listened to Making Trouble prior to this. No, 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 prior at all. I had not. Jaw had you? No. I oh, was God. seven no. 
I wasn't. I was about to turn seven when this album came out. I definitely was not listening to the Gal Boys when I was seven years old. But I knew about. I probably learned about the Ghetto Boys when my mind playing tricks on me came out, and I was in I don't know fifth grade, maybe fourth, fifth grade, something like that at that point. A little bit older, right? Ten, eleven years old. But um, I always knew about the Ghetto Boys, but going and back and actually listening to the albums was a first for me. So all yeah. everything I think we all had like everything was a discovery, new. yeah, <laughs> a discovery moment of actually sitting and listening to a Ghetto Boys album. And I feel like there's probably a lot of people who will be listening to this episode who might not have ever listened to a Ghetto Boys album before. But I think it's worth listening to because, like you said, it doesn't feel like the beginning of southern hip-hop but it's the beginning of something that was legendary right it, uh, it was the beginning of something that turned into probably more than they even thought it would be considering how the first album sounded right did you have to put on different ears to listen to this because we're in 2019 what rap music sounds like is totally different I think it's that first guitar that you hear mm -hmm. on the album intro, and it's hard and it's heavy, and the way it hits you, you're, you're like, "Oh, like, you know, <laughs> good, good morning." My, my eyebrows raised. I was kind of surprised, and I had noticed that when I was researching the album, that a lot of people say, "Oh, you can skip this one," because well, you know, the original members change mm -hmm. after this, right. so people were just like, "Well, this isn't really the Ghetto Boys. This was just, you know, who was there early on." They sound like Run DMC. All these things that kind of like distance you from their debut album plus this is g-h-e-t-t-o as yeah, opposed right. to they were proper from later they Correct. started off very proper right. and it's it's very um, dmc influenced but there's something that's kind of like fun and horrific about it at the same time like this is where they were trying to find the fun of horrorcore before mm -hmm. it just got dark you know like just the way they play off each other i was thinking a lot about the migos and how the the chemistry is what makes him so infectious. And that's what I found about this album was, even though it's obviously very much influenced by Run DMC, they figured out the pocket to have the fun, to make it infectious, to really draw you into stylistically what they're rhyming. And I think he's doing that with, you know, a DJ and two rappers. There's mm. so many ways you can play with that. And I noticed that a lot in this album, but also like once you get past this, oh, it's a, it's a different rabbit hole. <laughs> <laughs> it's, a different, it's a different world. Yeah, no, it's a very different world. But I think to your point that um, you know, yeah, I mean, yeah, the you know, obviously the the Run DMC influence is there. Um, I my the, what I was gonna say just came and went just that fast. Um, oh no, but what I was gonna say about the album was that I I thought that it was funny that. There's certain things, I guess, in hip hop that you know rappers love, like gangster movies and things like that. And it was very obvious. I don't know if it was like a foreshadowing thing. There was a lot of Scarface on so this first Scarface. album. A lot what? of Scarface on this album. The yeah. first thing I thought was like, I wonder if any, like, did they get this cleared? I mean, Scarface wasn't a hit <laughs> when it first came out. So I guess it wasn't probably hard to get yeah. stuff like that legally cleared or whatever. But it was like two songs back to back that was. Scarface, full of Scarface samples. Yeah, no, yeah. Like, I'm remembering, like, first encountering that. It's like a Jam Master J style, like, party mm -hmm. rock trap, where it's like the samples are just cutting in and out. And so by the end, I think the only thing I really remembered was, like, say hello to my little friend. <laughs> That's literally the only thing that I remember just because of how many times they cut that shit, like, in and out, in and out, in yeah. and out. 
yeah it is weird foreshadowing yeah i, I thought that was weird like wow did, okay so maybe this is just what it was supposed to be yeah yeah yeah. um the other thing i thought was dope was that sni- no it wasn't snitches snitches was funny snitches is funny though snitches, <laughs> you know what the first thing i thought about with snitches was that it's that same sample that ghostface end up using for daytona 500. oh good call and wow. when, I, when i heard it i was like oh that's interesting like and yeah. i had you know going being that the first time i think i had probably heard that song sampled on a hip-hop record was the ghostface song oh that's funny hearing it now after the fact was like oh wow somebody really had that idea like way before i think that ghostface record came out in 98 so mm-hmm. a decade before he did that record someone else has already had that was on it right had that same thing train of mind right 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 but um, but I guess that's the interesting part about this record, right? Like this is technically like a debut album, and maybe our expectations is that with a debut album, a musical act should come fully formed. But this is still coming from a time where, like in a debut album, you're still kind of allowed to you know feel things out a little bit. And clearly, they're in a stage where I think Willie D said in Hip Hop Evolution on Netflix, like we heard Run DMC. And like, we just thought like, hey, we could do that shit too. They're just trying to figure out like what they like. And so by sort of cribbing from the Rick Rubin style, really brash rock and roll style production, Mm. and they combine it with, you know, some of the realities that we're observing in Houston's fifth war, which is apparently not a good place to be. They were slowly but surely trying to figure this shit out. Yeah, They were still trying to find themselves for the most part. But yeah, so I mean, in conclusion, would you all say that this album ages well? <laughs> no. Doesn't age well at all. Yeah, I don't think this this isn't like this isn't music that you can still perform. I don't think you can take these I don't even know who you would perform these records for. But and that's I, not I don't know that that's a diss. Yeah, I think that's I don't just know, what's the a bad thing. I kinda like that it's timely. Like it pits you in a time frame of what hip hop was like right then and there. And as know? soon as you hear it, you know, okay, you know this exactly is yeah. a point of reference. Like, I think the craziest record, of course, is Assassins. Right. Oh, Let's talk man. about that. <laughs> Let's talk about yeah. that. What's the yo synopsis of Assassins? I wasn't ready for her to have AIDS. Like, <laughs> but yeah. the way she said it, <laughs> she said it like she gave them the cooties, right? Right. Like, <laughs> you know, like how a girl back in like day school, like early elementary, like you were playing around. She's like, oh, you got the cooties now. And runs away. <laughs> it runs away. He's like, no. He you pulls like a shotgun. He right. And blows the brain. Like, did he have a chainsaw too? Like, it just gets darker. There was a lot. Yeah, there was darker. a lot of. Um, and I was like, this is very graphic, you know. And it's the, the album itself, you know, they're playing with a lot of these imagery, these things. But when we get to this, like track four. Assassins, Assassin's? Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. So you get past uh, my word and my balls, the Scarface samples, right? So you're getting like this really like gangster rap imagery, but this is like some whole nother level. Right. And I just remember thinking like, where's the story going? Like, uh-huh. where, <laughs> how, like, how, did, how did we get here? And yeah. where are we going? It got real John Wickish. <laughs> John Wickish? It, it was very John Wickish at a certain point. And like. then how did y'all get away with this? Yeah, you know, like where was the outrage? Because this is this this will get you canceled. Oh, in two thousand nineteen. Sure. Okay, this is canceled music right here. But mm-hmm. the, I think the part of that too is that when you talk about um, how graphic it is and like mm-hmm. how far they went with the violence and what they were saying, this is in nineteen eighty eight. Right. Eminem was getting killed for this same shit like twelve years later. Uh huh. Right. But I don't ever really hear the Ghetto Boys mentioned as 
influences of Eminem. Not mm-hmm. from him himself necessarily, mm-hmm. but just when people talk about Eminem. But I don't. Mm-hmm. I couldn't listen to this song without thinking of M. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Honestly, yeah. that's a really good point. Stylistically, this is pretty much his horror. That's that, yeah, that yeah. was yeah. what it him was. Kill and kill. Like, this is yeah. This is even yeah. Be, you know before Insane Clown Posse or any of that right. shit. Like you know. Uh-huh. I mean, honestly, this is closer to what our future was making than true. Eminem. Yeah, like I know a lot of people like oh they were just doing what Eminem was, but they really were like the Ghetto Boys. Mm-hmm. Tyler was talking about like raping women and killing folks, and, right? Like, that's the ghetto boy for sure yeah yeah it's interesting that y'all bring that up because i guess this would be a question that i want to pose to eminem but since he is not here i'm gonna <laughs> you know i'm gonna make a leap um around like in 1988 we're sort of like entering like the peak of the slasher film mm. right or whatever you have because i think in making trouble they name check freddie mm-hmm. as in like freddie krueger and stuff like yep. that and shit would only get more explicit from there on out with the chainsaws and the machetes and so right. on and so forth. And what's interesting about the slasher flick phenomenon is that unlike some of the other horror film predecessors, is like there isn't necessarily like a political subtext. There isn't really like a bigger, larger, you know, conclusion to draw about like society in the same way that you could for like Halloween or Night of the Living Dead or Dawn of the Living Dead. Like it was just about living vicariously through some homicidal maniac shit. He owns a black hat like I own. A black suit and a cane like my own. Some might say take a chill B, but fuck that shit. There's a nigga trying to kill me. I'm popping in the And um I remember there is like a segment that Siskel and Ebert did where they very famously kind of like lambasted like all these slash effects. They were like, this is just senseless violence against women and blah, blah, blah. And there's no point to this. And it's like sort of notorious now because now all the horror film, all the horror film fanatics are like, they didn't know what they were talking about, blah, blah, blah. And that's how you have Nightmare on Elmer- Elm Street, like number 14 or something like that. Yeah. Um, so and Scream 96. Or Scream 96. Exactly. That sounds like a Windows upgrade. <laughs> but I, I, when I listen to early Ghetto Boys and I start to hear like the horror core like sort of come out, that's how I think of it. It's like this is maybe maybe this is like more so a byproduct of what's going on in pop culture at large. The fact that like we're sort of getting to look through the eyes of like a killer that just doesn't make no goddamn sense. I think there's. I think there will always be a market for that, mm. for pushing our uh, extreme media and and the the fans of extreme media and whatever, whether sex, violence, uh, you know, whatever the thing is, uh, risk takers, mm-hmm. you know, people that do like parkour on top of some bridge that's seventeen thousand feet in the air, whatever. People want to indulge in that. For the, there's some like raw human animalistic element i think that not for everybody but and to different degrees obviously with with different people but people like that stuff for whatever like it it, it turns into a thing mm-hmm. the funniest part to me was that the song immediately following this like graphic description of killing women is called why do we live this way in which willie d laments the way that we murder and kill <laughs> like immediately following like this song assassins ends with some type of like i chopped her in the itty bitty bits and then yeah. the beat drops and then he immediately starts to lament how terrible and awful that was the, the I, I couldn't stop i laughed at that i had to stop the song i really laughed at that for like 10 whole real life minutes like 
like, yo, Willie D is crazy. <laughs> this whole album is out of control. But he sound it was very aggressive the way he was lamenting these things, yeah. but it sounded sincere. Right. Uh-huh. But, and I probably would have believed it if I didn't just spend the last <laughs> five minutes and 41 seconds right. hearing you murder women. Like cutting up guts like spaghetti. Like spaghetti, like, like that yeah. kind of thing. You <laughs> said that. You said, you said that. So I mean, when it comes to like Asian, well, how you can't can you you can't perform that for people, can you? <laughs> nah, <laughs> I, don't, I don't. Maybe to a very, 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 very specific audience. I don't hear Scarface. Okay, I guess my question though, is: I guess I was, this was before the, the specific time. audience, like that, would enjoy that. Would they know the Ghetto Boys? I mean, I would hope so. Like, if you took the if the Ghetto Boys went to an ICP show in 2019 or a Juggalo Listen, show in 2019. ICP are about I don't know what they're about. I don't know. Yeah, I don't okay. know what. The, yeah, who, who knows? We but, seek peace anyway. <laughs> <laughs> but like, who would they know these songs? Or they, you think That's they would just question. get into it because oh, he's talking about killing women. We're down for it. Like, mm-hmm. is that all it takes for them? For my impression is that this must have caught waves in houston and maybe at the time that that's all that they needed you right. know so keep in mind like at the rhinestone wrangler at this point they've probably only been playing new york records so to have a group that they could actually champion that like sounds okay and to be able to play that in their club maybe that was just enough yeah you know well i mean to that point like and i don't without veering all the way off from making trouble but that point about new york them playing new york records to me that was the most interesting part of Grip it on the other level. Uh, the follow up. The, the, the follow the follow up okay. album that came out the next year. Yeah. Because the same thing that we're talking about was still applying. Like uh-huh. the first five or six songs on hold, let me find this track list. The first five or six songs on that album are super violent. Okay, so right, all right, so do it like a geo. That w- that was like a cool little intro. Nah, J nah, Prince. That, that intro is crazy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <Because> <laughs> no, <laughs> go, no, go. Because no, no, no. I don't want to overskip the fact that no. they're pretty much talking about how the music industry is, is trying to keep out black. Right. Artists. Now the you content know, is. The radio's yeah. not playing black music. Y'all don't want hip hop to strive. Mm-hmm. You know, all these little things. They're, they're still killing people. It's still, yeah, it's still, there's, still a lot of, there's a lot of blood. Yeah. But in between that, they seem to be criticizing the music industry in a way that's very modern to me. Mm-hmm. I see a lot of the same points they're bringing up in this record. It seems I still hear today, mm-hmm. which I found to be very eye-opening because I was like, well, all right. So you guys are on album number two and, you're, and you're, now you're in the industry. Now you're starting to see some of the industry stuff and you're also kind of coming to your own as artists. So yeah. I found like in the very first record, those two things become very apparent. We're not have like they're not doing the Run DMC impressions anymore. Right. They're very kind of like straightforward. The, the aggression's still there, but it seems a little bit more polished. So mm-hmm. these are things that's coming in the album too. That definitely kind of jumped at me, and I was like, okay, yeah. And then a the, uh, sellout is on another yeah. record here that totally got me by surprise. No sellout. No sellout. Uh, right. Number seven on the sophomore album. Right in the middle. Come out of nowhere, right? After after Come we, out of nowhere. I've killed a fifty thousand. Like talk about after, hiding the candy and the medicine. Seek and destroy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. In between seek and destroy, let a hoe be a hoe. There is no, no sellout, which is them pretty much pointing a finger at the music industry about what kind of artist they don't want to be. Like and, and specifically, <laughs> what the the music industry and what at that time really the government was right. trying to do to public enemy mm-hmm. that was the thing that struck me the most about that record was that i don't think i've ever heard 
a rap song about another rap group mm-hmm. that wasn't really a, like they were basically going to bat for public enemy in yeah. a whole record mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. a four verse song backing up public enemy from all the shit that they were dealing with mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and in my mind today i just wonder would we get that it made me it made me honestly it made me think about 21 savage Mm. and how people would even receive that today if someone made a whole song about 21 specifically about 21 savage and the situation and and and, you know writing for him in that kind of way would people look at it cynically yeah would people yeah it it wouldn't be looked at as genuine how many people would take it for real even if it came from a real place and it was a dope song and they were saying some real shit like if drake did it if yeah if drake did it right like who could do that song I don't even know if there's a person right well, what now. What was the Pusha T and Meek Mill record? Well, okay, it was a yeah, it was called What Would Meek Do. Mm-hmm. But I feel like Pusha didn't. I felt like he used that theme as an overarching thing to put a bunch yeah. of other okay. stuff under it. Yeah, centralized okay. Meek Mill. Yeah, but yeah. I mean, it wasn't really about Meek Mill. I mean, you yeah. could, I could argue that that was the clout chase. Mm. If you want to be like all the way for real about it, like I could argue that you're making a song with Meek's name in it and not really specifically going at a particular thing. Right. I could argue that that is like a cheap trick. Wow. And okay. I love Daytona, but I'm just saying, okay. like, if we're if we're, yeah. we're going to talk in, in that context, it's kind of like mm. you, know, you could change the name of that title without changing the song. It could be anything. What would Pusha do? And it would be the same yeah. exact song. Hmm. Good point. Mm-hmm. So I mean, you know. Yeah, I I mean I feel like um, the Ghetto Boys siding with Public Enemy at this time kind of speaks to just how limited this brand new genre is right in the sense that like i think they're taking relief in the fact that now hip-hop has sort of decentralized itself from new york and now there's a west coast thing happening right now Mm -hmm. we have straight out of compton we have public enemy it's like ah at last and you could sort of hear not quite like a g-funk influence but like they were finally able to sort of like cut off the umbilical cord from like the rick rubin thing for a little bit and just like kind of you know like find other find other production flourishes like mm. you know sample superfly instead of you know yes. you know doing like the drum machine stuff um yeah. so maybe that's what it was all about it was just like okay well there are so few of us in this game anyway we may as well make friends instead of enemies because everybody else is our enemy. Yeah, they seem very open to just like supporting other rappers other black artists yeah. But also, they hated the major labels. You know, they hated the system. They hated the man. Right. But they right. didn't hate you, you as an artist. Yeah, for like, sure. Nah. So their support there was very, it was very cool to hear. But then you got to go into let a hoe be a hoe. And, just like, <laughs> and, then, and now we're back to the shenanigans. Right back into yeah. the shit. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, looking back at this, when you consider, um, yeah, the Ghetto Boys Ascent, but then also the ascension of two live crew mm. and how they were able to drop those the 70 charges against them. It had me thinking about what Southern hip hop was contributing to hip hop at large at this time. Is it really just obscene ass shit? Like, what do y'all think? Um, I mean, in the sense of, in, in, in those names that I read out in the intro of the albums that were also out in 1988, in comparison to what else was out at that time, this seems very obscene but i think that a big part of what southern hip-hop is doing with this kind of album is kind of you know if they if if it took to if there was like a hard coding around american ears to rap music 
it was going to take probably something a little obscene and like very radical to kind of crack that shell before you get to like the gooey middle of Drake. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like it would probably take a pretty strong let a hoe be a hoe or assassins or something like that to really like, okay, this is what we're going to do. Accept this. If you can accept this far off extreme shit, then as this distills down into that soft ostrich egg. Oh my God. <laughs> it's an ostrich egg. <laughs> then, you know, you get, you, you're able to kind of, I don't want to use the word. I mean, I guess infect the masses with this music, and now you can't turn it off. Yeah, yeah. I just think that in these cases, you're trying to get close to your character. Mm. Like, who are you? How? Who do you identify as? Especially when you're thinking about you're in the South. You know, they recognize that New York is the mecca. You know that that's not gonna change, and you can recognize out west that they have their sound, they have a voice. That's them. So I think if you're down south and you know Miami bass music is popping, you're trying to figure out how can I fit that in with rap. I think if you are you know ghetto boys and you're on rap a lot records, you're just trying to figure out what's our identity. You know how can we stand out as artists? That's not you know, run DMC, you know, we're not NWA. We got, you know, something here. We got, you know, our own flavor, but how do we articulate that? And I think it was just through killing people. <laughs> mass murder. <laughs> mass murder. <laughs> this is going to be our vehicle that's going to get us where we want to go. Exactly. Hey, man, sometimes you don't want to see how the burger gets made. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and this might just be one of those examples. I just wanted to know, like, if they were interested in how people are going to receive this music. I just can't, because I was at Zach's Beats, right? And I don't remember what the record was, but they were talking that shit, right? Yeah. And I was pulling up to the window, and I was like, let me cut this down. <laughs> I don't, I don't want this, this lady. To I don't want this lady. Yo, right? I'm just thinking about this lady handing me my chicken salad, and I don't want her. <laughs> So over here, Scarface saying something and, crazy and, to her because I don't know what he's about to say. I have yeah, no yeah, clue can't predict what's either. gonna yeah, be said yeah, yeah. on this album. So it's much easier to predict the bars now. Like you yeah. kind of hear a pattern. Back Man, then, it I'm was like I'm riding around this entire album not knowing what's about to be said. Wow, who's gonna say it? So uh -huh. then, like I said, I was just in drive through and I'm driving up. And I was like, Let me cut this down because mm -hmm. if it's too loud and I have to explain, like, nah, I got a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> It's like a, yeah, it's sure album, you do. It's an album anniversary. I swear. Right, yeah, like, yeah, 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 yeah. I'm just wondering, like, people riding around to this, like, how how do they perform this music? How do they, you know, how do they? How will people receptive of this? Is I, I can only imagine that. Not that they wanted the music to be like limited to their area, right? But in my mind, I'm thinking when they wrote this, or when you're in the booth saying it, you're really just rapping to your neighborhood right or to your friends to the people that you know would get it right mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. in my mind i mean sure. I, in my mind i, I would sure. think that's how it goes sure I, on one hand i could absolutely believe that um like you have to be able to speak to like your people before you feel like you could speak to anybody else 
And I think Willie D says in hip hop evolution is just like, you know, fifth ward is a place where you can't even show any bit of fear, even if you are afraid. So you got to be the tough man. And maybe wielding machete, it was just their way of expressing that. Right. Um, But Scarface has his own autobiography called Diary of a Madman. And he was talking about how Jay Prince had the foresight to be like, listen, people want to hear some bad guy shit. So let's really lean on that. It's what's funny about making trouble the first album is that the whole assassins track is wrapped by a guy who's not even in the group anymore Mm -hmm. you know what i mean but jay prince saw that and he was like okay this is what makes us stand apart but at the same time maybe people are able to see themselves in that or they can at least be attracted to that narrative in the same way that we gravitate toward a scarface right Mm -hmm. so let's lean on that shit and then however many years later you have fellow Texas native Mike Judge like featuring the Ghetto Boys in office space to where like, you know, these fun- fucking button ass office workers are like smashing a fax machine. Back up in your ass with the resurrection Is the group harder than an erection that shows no affection They want to ban us on Capitol Hill Cause it's die, motherfuckers, die, motherfuckers All along it was a ghetto, nothing but the ghetto Taking short steps one foot at a time and kept my head low he was on to something. Jay Prince was on to something. People like violence. Sex and violence. That's the takeaway. <laughs> <laughs> sell them sex breaking. and violence. Yeah, yeah, breaking news. No, sell, sell them sex and violence. Right, it's, yeah. It's so funny that Jay Prince, you know, discovered Ghetto Boys and groomed them to be what they are. And then he also kind of discovered Drake and groomed mm-hmm. him to be who he oh, was. God. You're so right. Yo, to me, that's just the craziest contrast because there's nothing about Drake that's the ghetto boys like you listen to this album you wouldn't just imagine a drake feature anywhere on this but for him to like he has foresight i think jay prince does like he has he can see it he knows the direction things are moving he can pinpoint exactly what's going to be hot and how to like fan that fire because you're right like the assassin's track isn't the like the guy's not in the group anymore but that's like the only horror horrorcore record mm-hmm. on the first album. But mm-hmm. he noticed like how that became a topic of conversation. How that record moved not only just people, but it kind of like moved around as as something more. Right. So why not double down on that? Bring some new guys in and really like focus on that energy, that rawness, that aggressiveness. Yeah. And not be afraid to lean into any of it, even outside mm-hmm. of the aggressiveness. Like um, size ain't shit. With Bushwick Bill. Yeah. Mm-hmm. To make a record, like, okay, we have a small person in our group. He looks like, you know, he has one eye and he's crazy. Well, I guess at this point he didn't well, have no, one eye. No, he had his both of eyes. Yeah, before he had side eye. Yeah, yeah, yeah. At the right. rhinestone Wrangler. Let's and about, just to be clear, he had a, a, a busboy job at the rhinestone Wrangler. It's very clear. But you have this guy, you have a small person in the group, like, okay, we're going to do the record. And, it's not we're not gonna do the record in a way that's like we're gonna lean all the way into the fact that he's a small person and he'll still murder you mm. <laughs> and everything that i would expect of any of my other rappers or artists that i would sign i expect out of you so you are <laughs> going to have sex with all the women you're going to shoot all the people you're going to murder all the people just like everybody else and i mean i think he's definitely saw something in the audaciousness of mm. you know but i guess that was society at the time too right i mean at the same time hugh hefner was probably seeing the benefits of mm. selling 
audaciousness and mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. brash things like that mm-hmm. was kind of the eight when i think of the 80s that's kind of what i think of and of mtv like, was kind of coming to the forefront presenting itself as like counterculture even though like viacom would kind of usurp it years later you know it was just all about like you know presenting itself as like raw and like unabashed yeah all the, the yeah. completely irreverent to yeah. whatever's going on yeah that's what clearly that's what people wanted at that time clearly and this is probably the purest version that they got because I can't even imagine. Man. Oh, man. So any final thoughts on Making Trouble or the Ghetto Boys? Um, I enjoy I spent a, a lot of time. Oh, I do. I remember my point that I was going to make from way back oh, when wow. I forgot earlier. Full now. circle. Okay. Um, you were talking about how you were just kind of happy and listening to it or it was, it was fun in the album and i spent most of the time listening to making trouble just with a smile on my face yeah same. and it wasn't necessarily that i was listening to my favorite song in the world but it just felt kind of good to take that trip back mm-hmm. like that's a pretty far trip back from where we are right now mm-hmm. so to go back in there and in your mind try to think about what was going on at that time and and how these guys were presenting themselves and even from the standpoint of just how raw it was and it kind of made me think of how much technology has played a part in making rap music Mm. and not that it hasn't played a part obviously in all genres of music but being that rap music isn't necessarily a music of like strictly of instruments, mm-hmm. you don't have to have keys or dr- or a drummer or necessarily right. to make hip hop music. Right. The idea that it sounds so different now, and just how far it's come from that point of the Rick Rubin style yeah. music into what March Madness sounds like, mm. it made me think that if the Migos were in 1988 rapping how they do right now, yeah, they would be. Eminem or they would be aliens like it would be like how like that's that would be super <laughs> advanced in 1988 right so that that's the kind of feelings that I got for just from listening it, to this it album does feel very nostalgic yeah I wish the Migos can get some DJ scratches I really miss DJ scratches yeah. that's what I took me back I was like man I really wish I had some good scratches <laughs> <laughs> I also realized misogyny was different in the 1980s oh yeah I was like I was just eyes open couldn't believe some of these things were said it was like this is okay oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. this wasn't like something that people would you think pieces is about mm-hmm. or yeah. you would get certain kind of uh protest against only a few for, people for some of the things yeah of course there's still people having these conversations about misogyny and hip-hop but it was so rapid in how graphic it was just like how they would talk about women and i was mm-hmm. like oh, wow I know we made some progress, but sometimes looking back, you realize how, like with albums now, there's some records you would just not hear. You wouldn't hear these kind At of all. records sure. anymore. So it does tell me, like, okay, progressively we have gotten better about just the way rappers write about women. Mm-hmm. But I also kind of understand where that point in the lexicon of rap where this was, right? And how um, just the horrorcore imagery was about like not giving no fucks. Mm. You know, there was there was no bars off. Which is why, like, you do get an Eminem, you do get a um, a Three Six Mafia, you get a Odd Future, kind of coming off of this this foundation built back by the Ghetto Boys, and uh, it also just reminded me how fun it is sometimes just to go back, right? Go back and kind of see how you get to a my mind's playing tricks on me, 
Right. You know, like that, I, I look at that record completely differently now because I was like, oh, like to me, that's artful, a storytelling, it's all these things. So I've always had like this bar for them, but now I got to see how that they progressed to that point. It Absolutely. makes that song feel so much more glorious. Yes. Absolutely. Yo, I totally, I totally <laughs> it feels so much in more a glorious. different light. Like, yeah. okay, like I've seen Scarface's growth as a, as a writer, as a rapper. You can see the skill set there. He's a great storyteller already, but how he refines himself is just like, I'm 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 in now. Like I'm I gotta go back and listen to all the albums just because it is definitely like a journey of progression here. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. I I'm glad that we've all arrived to the conclusion that this album is very much like a product of its time. Mm-hmm. It's very much a product of this politically incorrect time. It's very much a product of this slasher time. There's very much a product of a time where New York was only limited to these two coasts, right? Mm -hmm. But in listening to these albums, I guess I'm thankful that it stresses a lesson that I think Southern hip hop would learn later on, which is when everybody else is going right, you got to veer left. You can hear the progression from Making Trouble over to the Grip album and how they're seeing like, okay, this is what the landscape already has to offer. What do we like? Why are we trying to do the same fucking thing? Right. And you can see like, that that's basically what Southern hip hop would go on to do. Like whether that's through a ghetto boys, a three, six mafia, or even like an outcast, like after they got booed at the source awards and decided to make AT aliens, Mm. they've arrived at their best music by just being like, fuck everything that is happening right now. And let's just do our fucking shit. And maybe this, maybe, you know, um, maybe like these two albums aren't like, the most timeless records in the entire world, but they point to that same lesson, you know? Mm. Sometimes you gotta be timely. Yeah. Mm. I think timely is not a bad thing. I know we love timeless records and how they can live on forever, but sometimes I just love an album to live in 1990. I love it for it just to live in 89 because we don't need to stay there forever, but there's reasons to go back and take a peek and remind ourselves of what that period looked like. Yeah, 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 yeah exactly. There was one other thing before we get out of here that I wanted to mention that I thought was kind of interesting that I hope somebody brings back. Did anybody else notice that Balls of My Word is no rapping? Yes. <laughs> and it kind of tripped me out. I had to play it back twice because I was like, where was the ball? <laughs> where was the ball? <laughs> <laughs> where was the ball? Was this just a, a loop? It was just a loop with DJ cuts and sample <laughs> drops, and it was kind of like yeah. letting the producer just Eat. rock. Yeah. And in listening to that record, and, and waiting for it to drop or waiting for some bars that came in, it kind of made me think of when Jid dropped 151 mm-hmm. and people were like, the reaction was like, yo, this song is dope. The intro is long as hell. But I'm like, <laughs> I didn't feel like, the, like I thought that was dope because it's like, yo, let the, let the producer get off whatever they're going to get off. But I, would, I, would, I wouldn't mind seeing an album where it's somewhere in the track list there's just a song that there's no singing there's no rapping it's just a producer doing their thing whatever they want to do to it dj cuts whatever i'm for that r.i.p gm master j r.i.p gm master j r.i.p i do miss that aspect about the rapper dj combo mm-hmm. because you could always have that opportunity just to let the dj rock i mean fresh prince and jazzy jeff did it with their double disc album they got like one half is just jazz going crazy you know so I don't know. I would love for rappers to be more thoughtful about like sequencing and how maybe we can just throw a beat there, yeah. throw a beat in there, and see how that like smooth things out. Maybe Metro will do it with his next album. We'll see. He seems inclined to do it. Yeah, he seems inclined <laughs> to do it. He's he's getting there. Yeah. The the format of 
um of the what, 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 now I'm going blank. What was the name of the uh, album? Uh, heroes wear capes. Yeah, heroes wear capes. I think so. the, I feel not like the, all heroes. Not, wear not all heroes Thank wear capes. You. Thank you. Um, I feel like the format of that album kind of lended itself to maybe him doing something experimental. There you go. That we don't see one day. There you go. Hmm. In conclusion. In conclusion. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm still on the rhinestone wrangler. <laughs> <laughs> Never would I have imagined that the birth of Southern hip hop would be attributed to a place called the Rhinestone Wrangler. Amen. But I guess you could say that the Ghetto Boys are some new form of outlaw country. Mmm. Oh, bars. Mmm. <laughs> mm. I like that. I like that. Um, we appreciate you guys listening to this. Um, you know, go ahead and, and rate and subscribe to us on various platforms: SoundCloud, uh, Audio Mac. Um, we'll be on iTunes soon enough. I know there's probably people listening to this like, yo, where is this <laughs> shit? Why is this shit not on iTunes yet? It's going to be on Jaws iTunes. Money yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We're going to be on iTunes soon. But um, until then, go find us on those other platforms and leave comments and tell your friends and everybody. Uh, I'm Ja. I'm Christina. I'm Yo. And this uh, podcast here is produced by uh, Michael Saber. So all like the cool little funky shit that you hear going on throughout this episode. Damn, son. Where'd you find this? Was all his idea. Thanks. And we'll talk to you guys later.